Welcome to a special holiday episode of Shujin Academy VGM Club. I'm Professor Tom, your faculty sponsor. That eight and a half seconds you just heard was the Dreamcast startup sound composed by Ryuichi Sakamoto of Yellow Magic Orchestra. The Dreamcast was Sega's final home console system. I believe I bought my Dreamcast in the summer of 2000, and I know I purchased it specifically to play Marvel vs. Capcom 2 and Capcom vs. SNK because I love 2D fighting games. I still own it, along with my Dreamcast copies of both MVC2 and CVS, and I look back on the system with a lot of love and affection. In fact, I look back at the Dreamcast with so much love and affection that I've created a holiday to celebrate this short-lived console. It's called Castmas, and we celebrate it every year on September 9th, the date of the Dreamcast's North American release in 1999. You can celebrate it too. All you have to do is love the Dreamcast and the innovations it brought into modern gaming, and eat a cinnamon roll, because the Dreamcast's spiral logo looked a lot like a cinnamon roll. You should also play some Dreamcast games and sing some Castmas carols, and if you've been a good gamer all year, Sega Claus will come through your electrical system and give you presents. For me, Castmas serves specifically as a celebration of the Dreamcast, and in a larger sense, a celebration of interesting, ambitious projects in this world that did not succeed because they were too good and too pure for this world. This is another reason that we celebrate it by eating cinnamon rolls, and if you don't get that reference, I'll put a link to the original article in The Onion that inspired the cinnamon roll meme in the show notes. The Dreamcast was officially discontinued in 2001, but despite its short lifespan and the fact that it sold less than 10 million units, it's a very important system in gaming history. It was far ahead of its time in multiple respects. It was the first home console with a built-in modem for online gameplay, directly inspiring a feature that's now standard on every video game system. It used Microsoft Windows as an operating system, and this helped get Microsoft into the home console business. And it had a library full of interesting, innovative games that helped create modern indie gaming. For today's episode of the show, I'm going to take a look at the sounds of the Dreamcast library, including some stellar soundtracks. I'm going to break a little from my normal mixtape-style show format with multi-song blocks, and instead I'll play a song or two and then talk. And there's something else I'm doing differently for this episode. I asked on Twitter and Facebook for requests from the Dreamcast library, and I got several of them, so I'm going to make sure and play those so that people get to relive their favorite Dreamcast memories. This episode is broken into four chapters that cover major areas of the Dreamcast library. For the first chapter of our Castmas Carol, we'll talk about Sega's vitally important first-party games on the system. The biggest Sega series is, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic is Sega's mascot, and the Dreamcast got Sonic Adventure as a launch title. It was the first 3D Sonic game, and its soundtrack established the sound of Sonic games in the Polygon era of gaming. We'll hear the game's main theme, Open Your Heart. I'll also play Escape from the City from Sonic Adventure 2, which was requested by my friends Daryl Lloyd and Quentin George, separately of one another. Both songs are from Crush 40, which is the name for lead composer Jun Sinoe's band.
Next up, it's... Jet Set Radio! Radio! Or Jet Grind Radio, since that was the game's North American title. This is a game about graffiti artist rollerblading kids in near-future Tokyo. It was the first game to use cel-shaded polygons, which gave it a very distinct look. It was a game by, for, and about youth culture. The average age of the game's development team was under 25. Within the world of the game, the soundtrack is provided by a pirate radio station, and this soundtrack is wall-to-wall bangers. The original soundtrack is primarily composed by Hideki Naganuma, with additional tracks from Richard Jocks, David Soule, Toronto, and B.B. Wrights. Sega's executive team insisted that some additional songs be added for the North American and European versions of the game, so they added some heavy metal songs and some really cool experimental indie tracks that were not originally recorded for the game. I'm going to play the game's main theme, which is called Let Mom Sleep. It was composed by Hideki Naganuma. I'll follow that up with Everybody Jump Around, composed by Richard Jacks. I'll also put some links in the show notes for a couple of the awesome indie songs that were included in the game's international release. I should also give some credit to my friend Quentin George, who requested something for this soundtrack. Look at the funk. Could you pop high without my yo yo? I'm trying to get to sleep. Could you pop high without my yo yo? I'm trying to get to sleep. Could you pop? Could you pop? I'm trying to get to I'm trying to get to I'm trying to
and identify the beats.
Let's move from the graffiti-covered streets of Tokyo into the far-flung reaches of outer space now. Fantasy Star Online leveraged Sega's sci-fi fantasy RPG franchise to create the very first multiplayer online RPG for home consoles, and it began life on the Dreamcast before receiving ports to Windows and the GameCube. It was heavily influenced by Diablo and beloved by fans. All of the official Fantasy Star Online servers have been inactive for years, but I understand that there are still people playing the game on their Dreamcasts in private online servers today. We'll hear After the Story 1, composed by Hideaki Kobayashi, and then Empty Space Out of Control Part 2, composed by Fumi Kumatani.
For the last songs in Chapter 1 of our cast, Miss Carol, we'll hear from Shenmue. Game director Yu Suzuki was the lead for Sega's AM2 team, and he'd worked on classics like OutRun, Hang On, and Virtua Fighter. Suzuki wanted to create an epic, multi-part game series with sweeping themes, and Shinmu was to be the first title in the series. At the time of its release, it was the most expensive game ever made. Development costs were somewhere between 50 and 70 million dollars. By some estimates, even if every Dreamcast owner had bought it twice, it still wouldn't have been profitable for Sega. Shinmu is an open-world game with a mixture of high drama, mundane life, martial arts combat, and quick-time events. Critics and fans fell in love with it, so much so that Microsoft went out of their way to secure a port of Shinmu 2 for the original Xbox. Fans were so loyal that when Yu Suzuki announced Shinmu 3 as a project on Kickstarter after it had lingered in development hell for over a decade, it immediately shattered records for crowdfunding. Ambitious, beloved, and ultimately not as successful as hoped, Shenmue feels like an extended metaphor for the Dreamcast itself. The game's soundtrack was composed by Takinobu Mitsuyoshi and the incomparable Yuzo Koshiro. It's one of the few Koshiro soundtracks where he worked alongside another composer. He actually moved his workspace from his home studio into Sega's office to facilitate collaboration with Mitsuyoshi. To get a feel for the game's grandiose themes, I'll play the game's main theme. And to get a feel for the game's slice-of-life side, I'll play Tomato Convenience Store, which is from one of the game's shops. Thanks to friend of the show Josh Grisham of Nerd Informants for requesting this game.
While they barely survive today, arcades were still alive and well in the time of the Dreamcast. Sega's Naomi arcade board was intentionally designed to be very similar to the Dreamcast hardware, which made porting many of the arcade hits of the time easy for developers. For Chapter 2 of our cast, Miss Carol, we'll talk about the arcade-perfect fighting game ports that came to Sega's system. Fighting games were a huge genre during the Dreamcast's brief lifespan, and I loved them then, and I still love them now. The first Dreamcast game I remember seeing in person was Soul Calibur. I had some friends who had a Dreamcast, and they had the Hangout House, so we hung out and played it quite a bit. It was one of the first times in gaming history where the home port of a contemporary arcade game actually looked better than the original arcade release. It's also a fantastic 3D fighting game, and it made an excellent launch title for the Dreamcast. Seeing its beautiful high-polygon visuals, you really did feel like you were looking at the future. I picked up Soul Calibur when I bought my own Dreamcast, and I played tons of it. My favorite characters were giant sword-wielding Siegfried, undead pirate Cervantes, and sadistic femme fatale Ivy. And I just want to say to Namco's character designers, I really wish you guys had toned it down with Ivy's ridiculous outfits in later installments of the series. Her Soul Calibur outfit is definitely revealing, and that does fit the character, but as the series goes on, she gets increasingly thong-tastic outfits that look like something from an adult game instead of a legitimate fighting game. Anyway, the game's soundtrack is a little different from a lot of other fighting games at the time. While every character has a home stage and a theme, all of the songs have a similar militant, majestic feel to them. Since Ivy was one of my mainstay characters, we'll play the theme from her stage, called Unblessed Soul, composed by Junichi Nakatsuru, Yoshihito Yano, Akitaka Toyama, and Takanori Otsuka.
If you were paying attention earlier in the episode, you may have caught that one of the reasons I bought a Dreamcast was to play Capcom vs. SNK. This game is a fantastic 2D fighter that mixes the Street Fighter and King of Fighters characters together. I've heard people postulate that it was Capcom's take on an SNK-style 4-button fighter, and it does only have 2 punch buttons and 2 kick buttons, as opposed to the typical Capcom 3 punch and 3 kick button setup. I loved this game, and it introduced me to the awesomeness of the King of Fighters franchise and all of the related Neo Geo stuff that SNK did. Capcom vs. SNK is one of the most stylish games I've ever played. All of the user interface elements use exaggerated pixel work and lots of motion to draw you in, but it's never overwhelming. You can choose between playing with a Capcom style or an SNK style, and whichever you choose changes your character portraits between art done by the respective company's artists. Every stage has an introductory animation, and multiple characters interact before rounds, depending on their rivalries or friendships. If you've never seen it, I'm going to link to a YouTube video of some gameplay in the show notes for you to check out. Capcom vs. SNK's original arcade release ran on the Naomi board, and its definitive home port is for the Dreamcast. This game was the Dreamcast's killer app for me. It's a shame that it isn't currently available on modern systems. Capcom vs. SNK has been eclipsed in the memory of the fighting game community by its sequel, which is an even better fighter, although it's not nearly as stylish. For our next song, I'll play Stage of Capcom, Keep My Fire, which is the music for the game's car crash stage. It was composed by Capcom's Satoshi Issei.
Now that I've played a song from Capcom vs. SNK, it's time to talk about Capcom's other versus games for the Dreamcast. I am, of course, talking about Marvel vs. Capcom and Marvel vs. Capcom 2. These games pitted a variety of characters from Capcom's library against a roster of Marvel superheroes. They grew from Capcom's work on the X-Men and Marvel superheroes fighting games, and those gave birth to the X-Men vs. Street Fighter and Marvel superheroes vs. Street Fighter games, and then Capcom turned things up to 11 with Marvel vs. Capcom, and then they broke off the volume knob with Marvel vs. Capcom 2. MVC2 is an absolute masterpiece of insanity. The game has a huge 56-character roster. Each player chooses a team of three characters, and the game is all about massive, long combos. Watching a match between two high-level players of Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is like watching a football game where every possession is either a 90-yard touchdown or an interception on the 5-yard line that's run all the way back across the field for a touchdown. It is so much fun to watch, even if you really don't understand how much execution is required. As with Capcom vs. SNK, Marvel vs. Capcom 1 and 2 both had their definitive home releases on the Dreamcast, and MVC2 was the other major title that compelled me to buy the system. This is a VGM podcast, so let's talk about the music. While Marvel vs. Capcom 1 had a soundtrack that sounds a lot like Capcom's other CPS2 fighting games, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 composers Tetsuya Shibata and Mitsuhiko Takano decided that the best sonic accompaniment for all of the on-screen madness was a jazzy lounge music soundtrack. MVC2's music came in for a lot of criticism from reviewers at the time of its release, but 20 years later it feels like a brilliant decision that drives on the craziness of the concept. It's one of the most memorable soundtrack decisions ever in a video game. From the time I came up with the idea of doing a Dreamcast episode, I knew I had to play something from the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 soundtrack. My friend Daryl Lloyd suggested the game's player select song, sometimes called Take You For A Ride, and so I'll pair that with the game's cave stage theme. I wanna take you for a ride
And now for a word from our sponsor. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, need to get somewhere? Take a crazy taxi. I'll get you where you're going. Need to go get some fried chicken? Crazy taxi. Hungry for pizza? Crazy taxi. Want to catch a baseball game? You got it. Crazy taxi. We'll weave through city traffic. Enjoy near misses and insane jumps on your trip. Take a crazy taxi today. Be sure to tip your driver. And now, back to the show. One of the best things about Sega is its history of innovative weirdness. The Genesis got Echo the Dolphin and Togiam and Earl, the Saturn got Burning Rangers and Knights into Dreams, and Sega kept this tradition going for the Dreamcast. Chapter 3 of our cast, Miss Carol, is about some of these great games that are just straight up weird. Space Channel 5 is a rhythm game starring a reporter in space named Ulala, who's forced into action to deal with an alien attack on the space station where she's reporting. The whole game has a super stylish vision of the future that looks like the swinging mod 1960s, full of vibrant colors and outlandish outfits and lots and lots of dancing. It is quite the thing. The funky big band jazz soundtrack is credited to Naofumi Hataya and Kinichi Tokoi, and it definitely deserves attention. For its main theme, Space Channel 5 used the 1966 jazz song Mexican Flyer, recorded by Ken Woodman and his Piccadilly Brass. The song was fairly obscure, but game producer Tetsuya Mizuguchi knew it and liked it, so he met with Ken Woodman and convinced him to sell Sega the rights to Mexican Flyer for use in the game. I could play several songs from this soundtrack, but I'm trying to keep this episode to less than four hours long, so we'll go with Spaceport, introducing Ulala. This is a remix of Mexican Flyer done by Naofumi Hataya and Kenichi Tokoi just for the game, so it's a good bridge between the original recording and the songs composed for the game.
After finishing work on Space Channel 5, director Tetsuya Mizuguchi created another piece of Dreamcast weirdness, Res. It's a highly abstract combination of rail shooter and rhythm game that's designed to create a sense of synesthesia in the player. Mizuguchi later explored this in other games he's directed, like Rez's spiritual successor, Child of Eden. Rez uses vector graphics, controller vibrations, and a pulsing techno soundtrack to help immerse you in the game. The soundtrack adds elements to the music as you play, a concept Mizuguchi revisited later on in Tetris Effect. Everything on the Rez soundtrack is worth checking out. It's all amazing techno. I listened to the whole soundtrack for this episode, and it was very difficult to choose just one song. I plan on revisiting this soundtrack in a future episode. I decided on the first level song, which is called Buggy Running Beeps 01, composed by Keiichi Sugiyama. Like a lot of first level songs, it's a good sonic thesis statement for what the game is setting out to do musically.
Not only did the Dreamcast include a modem, it actually had a keyboard accessory and a web browser that would let you get on the internet and surf the web. But the Dreamcast keyboard had another, far superior use. That's right, I'm talking about the typing of the dead. This game is a reworking of light gun shooter The House of the Dead 2, in which you play a government agent shooting zombies. But in The Typing of the Dead, words appear on the zombies, and you have to type these words in order to stop the shambling horde. It's got these hilarious visuals where these FBI agent-type characters are running around with Dreamcast backpacks that are hooked up to keyboards. Somehow the game works, and I know because I own a copy. You think you're playing some weird joke game, and then you see all these wacky words and sentences on zombies, and you wind up having a blast learning how to type. I'm going to play Item Selection from this game, which seems to be one of the few tracks that is original to The Typing of the Dead and not pulled from The House of the Dead 2. I am not sure who composed it, although it might be The House of the Dead 2 composers Tetsuya Kawauchi and Haruyoshi Tomita. Anyway, I like this song, and I like this game, so here it is. For the last song in this chapter of our Castmas Carol, we'll talk about what I consider to be the most experimental of the Dreamcast's eccentricities. It's Seaman, a game where you hatch an egg and it grows into a talking fish with the face of a man. You can use the Dreamcast's microphone add-on to talk to Seaman, and he'll respond to you. In English, he was voiced by the great Leonard Nimoy, and he's got quite the knowledge base. There are only a handful of games like Seaman, and it's as well realized as anything in the micro-micro genre of games about raising a creature that interacts with you via voice commands. It's a little like Hey You Pikachu for the N64, but that game just has the virtual pet making some noises instead of fully talking to you. Seaman's composer Sueno Kianeda uses a New Age music score to pull you into interacting with the strange creature, and I'm going to play the game's main theme, which is quite representative of how the whole soundtrack sounds.
An entire console system is a very broad scope for a single episode of my podcast, since I try to keep the episodes to under 90 minutes, and the Dreamcast's library doesn't really fit neatly into a small number of categories. So, for the last chapter in my Cast Miss Carol story, I'm going to talk about some important or interesting Dreamcast games that didn't quite fit into the first three categories for whatever reason. First up is NFL2K. EA didn't want to bring the Madden football franchise to the Dreamcast, so Sega got developer Visual Concepts to create a football game for them. NFL 2K became a franchise for Visual Concepts, and then 2K became an entire brand covering multiple sports like hockey, basketball, professional wrestling, and golf. I'm not a huge sports fan, with the exception of pro wrestling, and I'm not a big fan of football video games, but NFL 2K is a very important game in the Dreamcast library. From the chart I found, it was the second best-selling game on the system. It also kickstarted a franchise that only stopped because EA and the NFL signed an exclusivity deal that killed it. NFL 2K's menu music sounds like something you could put into a Fox Sports NFL broadcast today. The soaring guitars and march-style beat of the drums feel like American football. The credits I found for this game don't list a specific composer. It may have been Brian Luzietti, the game's audio director, or it could be sound designer Larry Peacock, or it could even be a piece of music they found laying around and repurposed for the game. Regardless, it is football music, and I'm going to play it now.
Metropolis Street Racer was the first game in what became the Project Gotham Racing series. It's an open-world racer with levels in San Francisco, Tokyo, and London. Unlike a lot of prior racing games, it rewarded you for driving stylishly in addition to driving fast, which is a cool addition to the genre that also helps set it apart. I'm including it in this episode because I wanted to be sure and include a racing game, and it's got an excellent soundtrack from VGM legend Richard Jacks that includes a lot of house music and rock music for the game's radio stations. If the vocals on this sound familiar, it's because they're by T.J. Davis, who also worked with Richard Jacques on the Sonic R soundtrack.
I've got one more game for our Castmas story. My friend Tori Reynolds loves bullet hell shooters, and he suggested that I play something from Ikaruga, and I think that's a brilliant idea. Ikaruga is an unusual, innovative, top-down bullet hell shooter. The game's key mechanic is that all the enemies and projectiles and lasers and whatevers, including yours, come in either light or dark, and you get to switch your ship between light mode and dark mode. In light mode, you absorb light projectiles and you shoot light projectiles that deal extra damage to dark enemies, and vice versa. It's a game from Treasure, the famed development studio that created so many cool games for Sega's consoles, like Gunstar Heroes and Guardian Heroes and Radiant Silvergun. Ikaruga isn't particularly long, but that's alright. Every single level is tuned very tightly, and the difficulty level is extremely high. It'll take a lot of practice to see the whole game. The concept art is also fantastic. All of it has this gorgeous style that's worth looking up via image search. And most importantly for our purposes, the soundtrack is phenomenal. For some of today's games, I've had to look up soundtracks online, but I had Ikaruga's tunes in my personal library already. Anything I play from composer Hiroshi Iuchi's Majestic soundtrack would be a great pick, so I've settled on Reality.
that's the show. If you want to reach me, you can email me at shujinacademyvgmclub at gmail.com. My channel on YouTube is called Shujin Academy VGM Club, or you can find it using the link on the show notes. I'm on Twitter at ShujinVGMClub, and on Instagram at ShujinAcademyVGMClub. Please leave me a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're finding this episode. Look for new episodes on Thursdays whenever I get them done, which is typically once or twice a month. Remember to celebrate Castmas this September 9th with cinnamon rolls and classic Dreamcast games. Special thanks for this episode goes out to Jameson of Bar Silence Podcast for contributing art for this episode. You can and should find Bar Silence Podcast wherever you download podcasts, and you can find him on Twitter at BarSilenceVGM. Rage Cage for being the voice of Crazy Taxi. He's the host of VG Emporium, another fine VGM podcast that you can find wherever podcasts are available, and you can find him on Twitter at VG Emporium or at R-A-Y-J-K-A-Y-J. Every Dreamcast fan who keeps the spirit of Castmas in their hearts all year long, no matter what day it is, may Sega Claus bless you this Castmas. And finally, everyone who sent in a request. Daryl Lloyd, Quentin George, Josh Grisham, and Tori Reynolds for all their requests on Facebook, and fellow VGM podcaster Hammock of KVGM The Last Wave for his request. You can find him on Twitter at KVGM Radio. Check out the smooth sounds of KVGM The Last Wave on all your podcatchers. Oh, did I mention Hammock? I didn't play his request yet. Well, I've got a slot open in my playout track, so we'll end this episode with Shop from Sega Bass Fishing 2. I had trouble finding exact credits for this track, but I think it was composed by Eriko Sakurai. Thanks for listening. I'm Professor Tom, and I'll see you next time on Shujin Academy VGM Club. (laughs) 